the Four Horsemen. What you have here is the Four Horsemen, united, live, and exciting color. Um, not those Four Horsemen. These Four Horsemen discuss theology from different viewpoints, different perspectives, as we show people how to have discussions without turning into a keyboard warrior. Are you stupid? Now, here's Dennis Thurman, Adam Black, Benjamin Kerfman, and Derek McCarson, the Four Horsemen. We're so glad that you have tuned in and here at our immense table, we have seated two fellas who look like reformed theologians, Adam Black and Benjamin Kerfman with their long beards. Amen. We have the uh, professorial uh, disposition, uh, Dennis Thurman, who's now speaking to you with my gray goatee. And then we have the baby-faced Derek McCarson, who's incapable of growing a beard. So we are here to discuss a great... Jesus died for all types of Yes, people. he did. For all types of facial hair or fuzz. That's right. Okay. So uh, something we're not fuzzy about is a great old hymn of the faith. Uh, that's entitled All You Need Is Love. You may remember that from the Beatles, but uh, they didn't say a lot of things that were true, but that was spot on uh, because Jesus affirmed that. He said that the great commandment is to love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength. The second, like unto it, to love your neighbor as yourself. He said on all on that hangs all the law and the prophets. So if you get that right, then everything else falls in place. And so I think it's very timely as we've come to Valentine's Day, in which we're usually thinking about uh, uh, cardboard hearts that are full of chocolate candy, uh, flowers that we're giving. Uh, I won't mention lingerie or they'll beep me, you know, bleep me out. <laughs> there you go. And, uh, and that sort of thing. Or, uh, you know, uh, Cupid, this uh, angelic little cherub, uh, virtually naked, shooting arrows of love into people's <laughs> hearts. Uh, we, you know, Valentine's Day. We think about all that kind of stuff. But, but indeed, uh, it is a time to celebrate love. And it is of such importance in gospel ministry and life altogether that I wanted us as pastors to address that subject. We're going to talk about four dimensions of love primarily. We're going to talk about the foundational love, and that is our love for God, and and discuss how spiritually we try to keep that first love, that passion and zeal for the Lord. We're going to talk about having a love for our wife and our, our family, uh, as Jesus commanded, because if we mess up there, then we're disqualified from ministry. We're going to talk about having a love for the flock, about really caring about the church and the people that we serve, and then having a love for the lost out there, the people that need Jesus, those lambs that have yet to be found and uh, rescued. And so as, as we think about that, I'm going to uh, begin uh, with uh, Derek McCarson, and uh, we're going to talk about having that love and that passion for God and a zeal for him and how you maintain that, because there's always a danger. Don't you find, Derek, that that can begin to diminish over time? How about addressing that? Amen. You're you're right on. In fact, Jesus wrote a letter in Revelation 2 to the church of Ephesus, who, although they had devotion and all they had, they had good doctrine, he said, I've got this thing against you, and it's that you've lost your first love. So in the rigors of ministry, in the busyness of life, taking care of your family and your ministry, uh, certainly you can start to go through the motions and you can find out that 
the fire that you once had in your belly uh, is cooled and even uh, almost going out at times if you if you don't return back to the basics. So um, for me, I find that uh, one of the best ways to always uh, rekindle that love for the Lord is to make prayer a priority. I always find in my life that if things are out of sorts, if um, I'm not getting a clear word on uh, a text, if I'm having trouble studying, things aren't good. Uh, maybe I was short with my wife. Um, maybe I got impatient with my kids. Um, something didn't go right in the deacon's meeting or whatever. can usually trace it back to my week, and I can say, how much time did I spend with the Lord? How much time did I actually get to pray and hear Him respond back to me? So uh, I think prayer is critical. So if you, if you love someone, you're going to want to spend time with them. Exactly. And and if you want to develop and build that relationship, the more time you invest. And so that's essentially what prayer is. So So what else? Beyond prayer. Oh, well, um, personal worship is also uh, a big key of that. Um, again, define, define that. Well, personal worship can mean anything from um, just taking a walk outside and you know just meditating on scripture that you've been looking at that day, or it can mean um, you know, opening up a hymn book, um, just you and the Lord, and you just singing to God. Uh, he's the audience of one. Um, so this needs to be something separate uh, outside of corporate worship. I mean, it's great to gather with other believers on the Lord's Day, uh, celebrate uh, what God is doing, hear the preached word, fellowship with other believers. But uh, I find in my my personal life that uh, one day is not enough. <laughs> my spiritual tank gets uh, empty if I don't replenish it during the week. And so uh, personal devotion, personal worship is a, a big part of that Um because, uh, you know, it's kind of like hunger. Eating one time a week isn't going to keep you alive, and it's the same way uh, from week to week uh, as you walk with the Lord. So spending that time with the Lord, uh, prayer, personal worship, uh, when you feel those fires uh, cooling, when you see things are disorganized, when you feel temptation has got a real uh, grasp on your heart, man, you need to figure out where things are and get along with God and uh, redirect your affections to Him. You know, it's interesting. You you mentioned Ephesians. Uh, sometimes that is misquoted, and someone will say, well, they lost their first love. That's not what it says. It says they left their first love. It wasn't something accidental. It became misplaced, but it was a deliberate uh, act because we make choices, and those choices have consequences. And when we begin to prioritize things in life, even if it's, quote, good things, ministry opportunities or whatever, and, and we invest in those, there's only so many hours in a day. And if we choose those to the exclusion of that personal time, that quiet time of meeting with God, then we're going to find that we have left our first love. And the only way to reclaim that, again, it's not something mystical, not like you're going to get zapped with a, a love arrow from heaven, but <laughs> but it is that you're going to begin to make choices, like you said, in prayer, reading God's love letter, which is his word, not to get sermons, although sermons may certainly spring from that, but but to feed your soul and to encounter God, to hear from the lover of your soul. And, and as you immerse yourself in those things, you're fueling that passion 
uh, for God. And, and, you know, love has to be more, of course, than uh, just talk or more than an emotion. It has to be an action. So it is that spirit of submission and sacrifice uh, that we devote ourselves to the Lord and the things that we that we do as well, and being motivated, not just uh, going and doing my job. Guys, I want to tell you, you know, four decades of ministry, over and over again, it's a battle that I have have found myself in. That you become the professional, you know how to do certain things, mm-hmm. and you don't really have to to think about them. You just do them. Uh, you go through the monotony, and it becomes routine. And I tell you what happens, you you then lose your spiritual power. And and other people will notice this, by the way. They'll, they'll say, yeah, it's not the z- there's something missing there. He's saying mm-hmm. the same things, but but something's wrong. And you know what'll happen? That's where a lot of guys get into trouble and compromise morally, or they get into trouble mm-hmm. uh, financially. Uh, they begin to make stupid decisions, you know, when they have left that that first love. So I don't think that you can minister a con- uh, to a congregation. I don't think you can be effective in what you do without tending those fires and that love relationship with God. Jesus said that was the first commandment. That was that comes before everything is foundational to everything else that that we do. Yeah, so one thing to add yeah. to that, Dennis. Um, about a Two or three years ago, I, I did a study through uh, Mark. And, of course, when you study one gospel, you're also in the other gospels as well, but just looking for the parallels. But one thing that struck me as I walked through that again is how many times Jesus retreated away from the crowds to pray. Oh, yes. And to be alone with the Father. I mean, go read John 17 and read the high priestly prayer. And that's a window into the Trinity there. Um, but there were all these demands, Derek, and he had so much to offer to I mean, those people. Yeah, but the Son of God, he, he his ministry was way more important than any of ours and way more busy. But yet, you know, if he made that a priority to be with the Father and to be with prayer, then how much more do we as men of God, uh, sinful and weak in our flesh, need to be able to make that a priority as well? And so I was, uh, that was very insightful for me and also very convicting because, mm-hmm. um, like you said, Dennis, it is, you, it's very easy to fall back into your comfort. You're the professional. You're the hired gun and rely on the flesh. Mm-hmm. And when you do that, man, that's danger zone. It is. Because then it becomes a routine. And, yeah, you can lose your spiritual power. You, you can lose that anointing of the Holy Spirit, and it just becomes uh, vapid. Yeah. Yeah. And and I think without, you know, just don't go on and on with this, but some of the big names that we've seen that had such powerful ministries and whose messages packed such a punch, I, I'm thinking of one guy, I won't name him, but I can remember listening to him several years ago and just loved to tune in because not not only was he speaking the truth, but it was it was so convicting, so powerful. My heart just responded to that. And, you know, there just came a time riding down the roads, I began to tune in that same broadcast. It was like, eh, something's not clicking. He was saying the same things as the same guy. And then later on, you find out that 
behind the scenes, there was some stuff that was going on that, uh, you know, compromise apparently had taken place. And, and so, you know, not to cast stones because it can happen to anybody. It can happen to me and you. And I hope that you're listening to that and learning from that. Well, along with it, there is that vital love relationship that we have with our wife and for our children. And, and so, you know, we are qualified for ministry because we can lead in our home. And that leadership is uh, dependent upon love. You know, the scripture says, uh, Adam, love Tabitha as Christ loves the church and gave himself for her. And that's quite a lofty standard. So, you know, Valentine's Day is a great day. But I think we need to celebrate love more than that. So kind of talk about the, the minister's uh, relationship with his uh, with his wife and with his kiddos and, and being bivocational, some of the challenges that that presents. Yeah. <clears throat> well, I mean, it's, um, you know, the, it's always a joke. The women, the wives submit to the husbands. They get the easier job because we got to be willing to die for our wives. That's the part that is oftentimes uh, left out. But um, I Anytime I have that this this conversation, I'm kind of reminded back to um, you were talking about being a pastor um, that our ministry can't become an idol. In mm-hmm. Mark Driscoll's book, Real Marriage, um, Tabitha and I read it <clears throat> together, and we actually went to the co- <clears throat> conference. Conference. Bring it up again. We'll vote yeah, on it. Yeah, the, yeah, the Real Marriage Conference. And um, he talked about some of the the most prominent um, people uh, in in ministry, uh, some men of old who were incredible pastors, incredible missionaries, incredible songwriters, but were terrible husbands and terrible. Uh, I watched that same thing, Adam. I know exactly. What you're yeah, saying. I mean, they A. Were, w. Tozer, yeah, John yeah. Wesley. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah, you're naming that. Well, they're yeah. dead, but anyway. Um, but yeah, they they were terrible, and you know our first yeah pro- John Weston did not even go to his wife's funeral. Right, yeah, that's bad. Yeah, Tozer's wife after um, they or he died or whatever, like she was like completely happy. I I don't know if it was him or which one of them that put his kids in an orphanage because they were getting in the way of uh, his ministry. Oh, I remember him telling the story about. Tozer had a choice between uh, buying his wife a car mm-hmm. or buying a set of books. Yep. And it was like a snowstorm or something. She had to walk to church. And he, he had her walk to church because he had, he couldn't buy the car because he bought these expensive books on the church fathers or something. Well, you shouldn't like bring that. up books. Now, that's really a lot of love. Anyway, sorry to interrupt you, Adam. <laughs> but the, 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 our, our wives are our first ministry. They're, they're our main priority is to shepherd our wives and to love our wives. And, you know, that's something that, you know, Tabitha and I have been married uh, eight years and we're learning constantly. And, and as we've been in ministry and you're kind of doing marriage counseling, you see marriages that are struggling around. It's always time that you kind of reflect on your own. And, um, and so we've been able to do that and, and, and just being open for me personally, you know, it's one of these deals where Ephesians five thirty three talks about, you know, the husband needs respect and the woman needs love. 
but as a husband, oftentimes uh, just think my wife needs respect, right? Like I don't need to tell her I love her. And uh, I remember a supervisor I used to have said the day he married his wife, he told her he loved her and he'd tell her again if he ever changed his mind. But, um, <laughs> oh. but, but, but we get in that, you know, you'll find, yeah. you'll find some times where I'll, I'll go some, a period of time and I won't tell Tabitha what she means to me in just simple, simple ways. And, um, you know, you, you lose it. And in Driscoll's book, he talks about how there's times you, there's three types of marriages. You've got back to back, which is not good. Um, that you're at odds. You don't see eye to eye on anything that you're fighting and constantly you're in a war. And he said, the majority of marriages are side by side. And some people say, well, that's a good thing that, but it's almost like your business partners. Mm -hmm. And I know in the stage of life that we're in and well, three of us are in right now, is that, you know, with the kids, it's getting them from here to there and you've gone through it and you've got to get them from point A to point B and, and your life becomes your kids and your, your business partners. And that's why you see a lot of marriages, uh, there's divorce once the kids move out of the house because right. the idols are no longer there. Yeah. You and look over there in bed and you see a stranger. You right. Say, Who are you? Yeah, yeah. Exactly. And so, uh, so, and then the way you want it is face to face and to maintain your, your friendship. Um, and that's something that Tabitha and I, we're not, we're working on is to maintain that friendship is, is to keep her as my best friend. Uh, I'm not very good at being open oddly with her about things. Uh, and I'm trying my best to do that. So, um, but our wives are our main priority is, is to love them the very best we can. Um, and to give them all of our attention, uh, our kids, um, you know, one of the things I think it was Don Wilton who was talking about one of the things he's always tried to do with his kids. And, and it always kind of rung, it, it struck, struck me is, and I'm sure we've all dealt with this is you're at church and you're shaking hands or whatever. And your kid runs up to you, daddy, 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 daddy. Now, daddy. now for me, it's grandchildren. Yeah. They yeah. Do it. mm-hmm. It's like a million times. And, and you, what, what I found myself doing, and I'm sure we can all relate is hold on, hold on, hold on. I'm talking, I'm talking. Adults are talking. But Don Wilton said that every time that he he realized that that was an issue, so every time his kid would come up to him, he would hold on just a second, and he would address his kid to show him that you're the most important thing to me. Mm-hmm. And uh, I mean, obviously that goes to a point, but uh, but I've been trying to do that, and and I want my kids to love their dad being a pastor, um, and and you know, and that that takes some guarding, you know, and shielding sometimes, yeah. and um, but I I don't want them to ever come back and hate the fact that I was in ministry. I, I want them to to do that. And so I want to be an example to them. And, mm-hmm. and I want to be the same person at church as I am at home. Right. Um, and I think that that's, um, that's a big goal for, for me and loving my kids is to be consistent. Yeah. Um, so so, so let, let me bring that into real focus then. Is it possible that the church would be our mistress? Oh, absolutely. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, well, with a lot of those guys, you know, the work of the Lord, you know, they they bypass their family, <laughs> and the work of the Lord is the church and the mission and all that. But if you're not taking care of your family, you've you dropped the ball in your biggest ministry. Yeah, I heard somebody say, I can't remember exactly who it was, but um, well-known preacher, he said something to the effect of, you know, after 40 years of ministry. They may not remember any of your sermons. Church members are going to come and go. You're going to change churches. And after that, guess who's still in your life? Your wife and your kids. And if you've neglected them, then when you get to the end, 
what what's left. And that is so convicting when you think about it, is that, um, I mean, really, if you don't take care of your number one priority, then you have failed as a man, as a father, as a husband, as a leader. doesn't matter how great your ministry is. If you're on the radio, if you're on TV, how big your church was, your family doesn't care about that. And, and it's just so easy to fall into that performance trap. And, and some of that is our own vainglory, our own desire for recognition. Uh, it is that codependency thing where we have a need to be needed. And, and so we get that inflated ego. You know, it's like, uh, we, we leave the family and we go to the, run to the hospital because, uh, uh, you know, uh, Aunt Ida's uh, bunion has become inflamed. <laughs> And so, you know, it's like we walk, but then we walk into the uh, ER and it says, oh, thank God pastor's here. Everything will be fine now, you know, and we just, we just uh, adore that. Suck it up. And meanwhile, the, the kids are there at the ball game without daddy to cheer for them, or uh, they were in the middle of a picnic having a good time when you made a beeline to, to go make that ministry call. And, uh, you know, uh, it's something you have to guard against constantly. So, so one other quick thing before we turn to another dimension. How, how do you maintain that? We've talked about the danger, but, but how do you really work to, to keep that relationship with you and Tabitha alive and vibrant? Uh, what, what do you do to fuel that fire? Well, being bivocational, and you, you asked that a minute ago, being bivocational, I mean, I work 45 hours a week on top of pastor in the church. And so time is <laughs> valuable because we don't have much. Um, but you've got to be intentional about it. And, and intentional, I mean, that's a popular word, but it's the truth. I mean, yeah. you've mm -hmm. got to say, and, and this might not sound romantic, but schedule time. Like, Hey, mm -hmm. Friday, we're going to go out to eat. That's what we did this past weekend. As, as the kids went to spend the night at the grandparents, they loved that. And so did my parents. And so we went, to. We went out to eat and it was kind of neat because we went to this restaurant and it was an hour and a half wait. And, uh, so we just walked around downtown Asheville together and, and just spending time together, just us. And, um, that, that was a lot. And Tab was like, you really want to just walk around? I'm like, yeah, I'm good. You know? And, but I was just trying to cherish time with her and, um, you know, and it doesn't even have to be anything crazy. You can just sit at home and talking, you know, um, that was one thing in one of the marriage conferences that is to try to have time set aside time to just talk, you know, yeah. just, just talk, turn off the TV and, and, and don't get me wrong. We're not good at this. And so that's something that we're trying to work. Put on. away the smartphone and the yeah. iPad. Yeah. And, you know, and, and turn off the TV and, and just talk. How are you doing? You know, and something you said, Derek, that I think is key too is, you know, how many people do you truly have on your side? You know, the people that, yeah, you're, you're, you're tending to your flock and, and, but who's truly with you is your, your family. Mm -hmm. You know, if you leave, who's with you, your family, mm -hmm. they're, they're the ones who are by you closer than anybody. And so, um, yeah, that's important. So for those of you listening, having that intentional time, a date night, a time you schedule is vital and, and it's very spiritual and important that you do that. And I, and I think an overnight or every now and then is good. The, you have to get away from the children on occasion. 
and you have to tell them they'll pitch a fit, but but say, you know, this is for your benefit, okay? <laughs> so that mom and so I don't kill you. stay together, you know? And so, you know, it, it's not real expensive to just get one overnight, and you can usually find somebody to watch the little darlings for a little while, and so you can have most of two days in that overnight to have some just time together when someone's not interrupting uh, things that are going on, you know, so uh, I, I think that's important. So let, let's go to another area of love. And I know, uh, Benjamin Kerfman, that the church that you serve, that all the people there, all the dear saints, uh, mostly sit around, uh, you know, tuning their harps and polishing their halos <laughs> and, and, and are just people that you're just thrilled for the opportunity to invest your life in. Never a problem or a, complainer or anything like that or, or is, is there some challenges to loving the flock and, and if so how do you do it i think um fortunately we really don't have a lot of complainers and all that which is a blessing but the you thing that them I, all off huh? yeah well i mean when <laughs> blessed subtraction yeah when you don't care that the much door the, they, they go. stop complaining um but or when you just tell them no and don't get fired right away <laughs> Um, so no, but people are people, people are people. Yeah. And, and there's always challenges. And I mean, it doesn't church is family. It's just like family. You know what I mean? It's, you know, you, you love people. There's people that are different. There's some that you connect more with than than others, which is also why I'm in favor of a plurality of elders. Cause there's some people in my church that connect well with me and more so than the other pastors and vice versa. You know, there's some people that I don't talk to a whole lot and doesn't mean I don't love them, but Maybe we just don't make that connection. But I think over the last couple of years uh, of pastoring, one of the things the Lord's taught me is um, it's not a, it's not a matter of loving difficult people. Sometimes the hardest thing is is loving people that you want to love because love means doing the hard thing. Hmm. Um, you know there there are people in our in my congregation that I've had to have some really hard conversations with where, uh, I've had to confront sin. I've had to, uh, discourage them from making certain decisions or encourage them to make other decisions. I've had to, um, do counseling with them. I've had to sit with them through really hard times in their life, you know, and that's a sign of love too. You know, like, like, and I've told people this at the church, and you know, love is doing the hard thing. Love um, is not the acceptance of all behavior, right? That's like right. What society does, or 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 ignoring it, you know. And and I and I don't say this really to be critical, but it's just true. There's just a lot of guys I know in ministry that they know who the problem people are in their church, and they know that what what needs to happen is a hard conversation with that person, but they don't want to do it, and. And this even happens among pastors. And if if I'm truthful, I've even I've sat in a message where I've heard somebody preach and it was just awful. And I thought to myself, okay, who in the room loves this brother enough to go to him and say, brother, that you know that was unbiblical or it was wrong? And you know what? A lot of times I'm not that guy either. Um, but I've had people come to me before. And have a question about the sermon of, you know, I heard one of the pastors say this, and I don't really think that that's right. And there's been times where I, I've said, well, you know what, uh, you're actually right about that. But instead of taking that as criticism, this person loves me enough to come and, and do the hard thing uh, instead of just leave, leaving me on my own way. And a lot of times, well, a lot of times as complainers, as difficult people in church, a lot of times they're going to hell. 
and and just because they're a church member doesn't mean that they're saved. And True. instead of saying the hard thing of not not being rude or hateful to them, but the reality is, is maybe the reason why you're complaining all the time is because you don't really understand what this is about right now. Maybe you don't understand the gospel. Maybe you don't understand what we're doing here. And that's why you have issue with everything that goes on. And even then, you don't have to be hateful to that person. But but the loving thing is to say, hey, the, y- your concerns bring up a concern for me. And so if we're going to be if you're going to be honest enough to come to me and share your heart about things that I'm going to be honest, honest enough to share with you, too, mm-hmm. uh, of my concerns about you. But, but can't you speak the truth without having a loving heart and it, and, and it's counterproductive? Just like the old boy that had the, the hissy fit. What was his name? Standridge, yes, yeah, uh, yeah, that Pastor Standridge setting up it. your own kingdom in the sound room. So, 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 <laughs> is, but, but on the other hand, I think we can have this attitude of soft sentimentalism that we call love, mm-hmm. in which we don't really care enough to speak the truth. So, so how do you find that balance of speaking the truth in love, where it's going to be re- more likely received if it is spoken with that kind of spirit? Yeah. I, I'm not I'm not an expert at this, but one of the things that I've learned is prayer is a really key part of that, um, of not reacting right away. When somebody says something of like, don't don't say the first thing on your mind, don't, you know, like cool down and pray about it. And and there's been times where like like I've said, there's been maybe somebody in the church that that we knew uh had fallen into sin and we don't just call that person up right then and say, Hey, you need to get right, you know. But it's a matter of like, okay, we need to pray. How do we need to approach this person? There's times where we've written letters and and looked at it multiple times before we sent it out because we said we want to make sure this is being understood in the right way. And it's clearer to do it in written form in the sense of saying, hey, here's here's some I'm concerned about you. You know, um, I think that uh, preaching is a really good way to do that. And, and I don't advocate that, you know, every Sunday you need to be preaching at a specific person, but there's sometimes when you're looking at a text and if you know what's going on in the lives of your people, you know, the illustration might hit a little closer for some than others mm-hmm. this week, you sure. know, or whatever the case may be. And and that's a way that you can do it in a general sense. Like I've recommended that to guys before, like, hey, if you know that there's some prominent people in your church that are having an issue, the sermon's a great way to address that, especially and especially if you're preaching verse by verse, because then they can't accuse you of targeting them. It's like, listen, we're just picking up where we left off last week. And then, and, and what's amazing is, is a lot of times the Holy Spirit will use that. And so whatever you're dealing with as a pastor, it just so happens seemingly coincidentally that the text that week is actually going to deal with exactly what the church needs to hear um, because it's, the spirit works through the word for the church. Providence, my brother, yeah. providence. Well, and you know, Jesus is that model shepherd, I am the good shepherd. Mm-hmm. We'll never attain to that level, of course, but that's that's what we we aim for because of Christ in us and as shepherds of the flock. And it's just so obvious the love and the devotion, the tenderness, and even the sometimes the the willingness to confront that we saw in Jesus with those disciples and how he labored with them and worked with them and invested in them. And and that's the path that we're supposed to take and uh you remember, and to me, I think maybe this is where we miss it sometimes, that Jesus confronted Peter there after the resurrection, and he said, Peter, do you love my sheep? No, nope, that's not what he said. What did he say? Do you love me? Mm-hmm. And then if you love me, what did he say? 
feed my sheep. Feed my sheep. And so that love and devotion. Sheep are smelly. They're, they tend to wander. They're infested with parasites. Uh, there's all <laughs> kinds of issues with sheep. It's not a very flattering picture, actually, when you look at it. But uh, if you just start out trying just to love them, you're going to have a very difficult time to do it. But if that love grows out of your love for the Lord, understanding his love for you, then to me that provides the grace that's the motivation and the means by which we can we can love the, the flock. And so I would say to you, dear brother out there in ministry, if you do not love your congregation, if you do not love that deacon that uh, may be uh, difficult, uh, if you do not love those people out there enough to speak the truth to them and, and to have compassion for them and their needs, uh, you need to get into another line of work. You were probably called to be an aluminum siding salesman instead of a, a pastor. No knock on that. So, no, no, no it's, it is. It's a good, it's a good vocation. So let me hit one last uh, dimension of love because I think we're kind of running uh, out of time. And you're probably running out of patience listening to us. But let me talk in closing about love for the lost. Uh, as we think about lambs, not all of those lambs are yet in the fold. There are mm-hmm. some that are out there wandering, and uh, we are to go and pursue them and search for them. That's what a shepherd does. Uh, we think about the example of Jesus and what he did, leaving the 90 and 9 and going after that one that was lost. And it's very obvious that he valued that lost sheep and cared about them. And so all about us are people in this world that need Jesus. They're on their way to an eternity of despair. And uh, people can do some awful things, and people can be blasphemers. They can be hateful. Uh, They can attack you. I think about a guy once by the name of Saul of Tarsus. He was a pretty wretched, vile fella, and not the kind of guy that you would want to love but actually, uh, he turned out pretty well, <laughs> you know, as the Apostle Paul when he came to faith. And so, you know, God wants us to love people. Uh, he wants us to love those that, uh, uh, the, that atheist that can say things that are just so spiteful. He wants us to love that transgender person, the, the homosexual activist, uh, the abortionist uh, you know, whatever category, uh, those people in Hollywood that just get under your skin when you hear the the pious, pr- uh, proud pronouncements they make of their uh, progressive philosophy. You just, That's great alliteration. I'm sorry. It just happens. It just, happens. It just it's just That's in forty years just of in still me. Right it's got to come out. <laughs> He's channeling his inner Adrian Rogers. <laughs> That's it. But but the truth is, God loves them. Jesus died for them. Uh, we have a responsibility to reach out to them. You know, it, it doesn't matter. You you may love uh, uh, Barack Obama and loathe Donald Trump or vice versa, but we are to love both of them and want them both to uh, spend eternity in heaven someday. And that only happens when they come to know Jesus and we're the instruments to reach out. So I, I hope that these thoughts about love here as we are around the Valentine Day season uh, have been helpful for you. And I close by again reminding you of what Paul McCartney saying, all you need is love. 
You can continue the conversation online by visiting us on Facebook at facebook.com slash the number four horsemen. Don't forget to tell your friends and enemies about the podcast and be sure to subscribe and review. They look at me funny when I talk like I got a speech impediment. Homie, check my passport. Heaven, I'm a resident. Like a conscious rapper, but do more than master the president. I see brothers coughing, so I hit them with the medicine. On the other side, they say their grass is greener. Seen the forecast, man, they calling for Katrina.